Okay. Do you want me to count you in? No, I, I'll go. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Comedian Grace Mulvey. And pop culture obsessive Neve King. Ask the question, what makes a great adaptation? We take a beloved book that has been made into a movie or TV show and do a deep dive into what the production got right or very wrong. From banger soundtracks to dodgy casting, we get into what it takes to make the jump from page to screen. Welcome to The Jump. Hello and welcome to The Jump. Neve. what is the first rule of The Jump? We want everyone to talk about The Jump. We want you to tell all of your friends about this podcast. Now that I've indulged in the most overused joke of all time, I think you can already guess what this episode is going to be about. We're talking about the book and film Fight Club. And asking the question, again, are men okay? <laughs> are men okay? So Neve, are you ready to have a near-life experience? No. <laughs> For anyone who saw that moment where I asked if you're ready to have a near life experience, that's a direct quote from Fight Club, both the film and book, okay? That wasn't an Oprah moment. So, um, Neve, before I even dive into the book, how did you find the source material? <laughs> so, I'm going to be honest, giving some behind the scenes uh, dirt here, because yes. we kind of decide a few weeks in advance, you know, what we're going to cover. And... You had said Fight Club. I wasn't usually enthusiastic about the idea of doing Fight Club. I had neither read the book nor seen the film. I cannot believe you'd never seen the I film know, Fight Club. I know. Like uh, how did you? Because I know you know straight men. How have you never <laughs> seen Fight Club? Like you know, like I just don't understand how it just never. I never. I think that there was something about you know. It's such an iconic film. It's such a cult classic. Mm. And now it does have a certain type of following, which I know that we'll get into. Yeah. And I think that's what put me off. It was just always one of those films where I was like, I'm good. I don't need to. I get your whole thing. I know what you're about. And I'm good with it. And I don't. Do you feel like that attitude has changed since reading and watching it? Yes. I yes, it. I think it I has. It. What Not a win so, for straight yes, men. What a win. You know what? They're <laughs> they got Jew. one. They're, <laughs> they're Jew. They're win. They got one. <laughs> well and done, you guys. So for me, the 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 change came with the book. Mm. Not so much the film. I enjoyed the film. It was, you know, to a certain extent. I liked the book a whole lot more than I thought I was going to be. I was going to. And I'm excited to talk about it because I feel they're quite different. And they're, I, yeah, they're really different. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, um, I think I preferred the film. But anyway, listen, we'll go into that in, in a second. I know, controversial. I mm. don't think we can continue the podcast. Right. <laughs> um, now, for anyone who hasn't read the book, seen the film, or maybe needs a little bit of a refresher, I'm going to go through the plot of Fight Club <laughs> in general. Fight Club centres on an anonymous narrator struggling with insomnia. Inspired by his doctor's exasperated remark that insomnia is not suffering, the protagonist finds relief by impersonating a seriously ill person in several support groups, most notably a support group about testicular cancer. 
he finds that sharing the problems of others and being able to cry despite not having testicular cancer himself alleviates his insomnia. The narrator's unique treatment works until he meets Marla Singer, another tourist who visits the support group under false pretenses. The the possibly disturbed Marla reminds the narrator that he's a faker who does not belong there and then he begins to hate Marla because he can't cry and therefore sleep from now on. The narrator then meets Tyler Durden. That's, I got it right. <laughs> I keep saying Tyler Durden in my head. Tyler Durden, a charismatic extremist of mysterious means. After an explosion destroys the narrator's condo, he asks to stay with Tyler. Tyler agrees, but asks for something in return. And Tyler's request is, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Both the men end up having a fight and they so enjoy the ensuing fist fight, they move in together and establish a fight club. Now, the fight club attains a nationwide <laughs> presence. Tyler uses it to spread his anti-consumerist ideas, recruiting Fight Club members to participate in elaborate pranks on corporate America. He eventually gathers the most devoted Fight Club members and forms Project Mayhem. It's kind of like a cult-like organisation that trains itself as an army to bring down modern civilization. This is when the narrator becomes uncomfortable with this destructiveness. He starts, he resolves to stop Tyler and the narrator then learns that he himself is Tyler Durden. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. The twist. <laughs> the twist. Okay, the, the famous twist. twist. Was that a good explanation of the... Yeah, I thought that was great. Sorry, I just say I love when you do the book recaps because you're such a performer. It's like <laughs> a one-woman show. Thank I love you. listening to you recap the book. Um, yeah, that's, that's spot on. Um, that's the book. That's the book. Basically the film as well, but that's mm. what we're working with. Again, the main character doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. He's known as the narrator. He's an anonymous figure. There's Tyler Durden, his kind of, I suppose, alter ego. And then there's Marla Singer, the only woman in the book. You only need one. Now, <laughs> a little bit about the book. Okay, so Fight Club itself <laughs> is a 1990... <laughs> you only need one. True of any... It's true of anything. <laughs> if anything, there's too many of us here today. Um, <laughs> I could have done this podcast on my own. You only need one woman. Um, Fight Club is a 1996 novel and I'm going to butcher this guy's name by Chuck... Palinuk? Palinuk. Palinuk. I I got there. Okay. Uh, Just to add on, there is a sequel, Fight Club 2. What? Yes. It was released as a comic book in May 2015 and then Fight Club 3 was released again as a comic book in 2019. Um, But about, um, just a bit about the author. Um, Chuck Palinuk. Yep. Yep, there we go. Um, Is an American novelist (laughs) who describes his work as transgressional fiction. Have you ever heard of transgressional fiction? Now that you've put a name on it, it sounds... <laughs> Aggressive. <laughs> Aggressive. Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't yeah, say that it's... it's I had never heard of it, right? But it's a form of literature which focuses on characters who feel confined by the norms and expectations of society and who break free from those confines in, the, in unusual ways. So, like, very much Fight Club yeah. is this type of uh, fiction. He, uh, the, uh, the novelist has published 19 novels, three nonfiction books... Two graphic novels and two adult colouring books, which I just oh, why? <laughs> which I'm not gonna lie, I actually would love to get oh my, my hands on. Oh my god, that's your Christmas present. That's my Christmas present. For I'm sure. imagining it's like I don't know Brad Pitt's face or penis or something that you're colouring in, considering the it's film. It's that little cut at the end of Brad Pitt's abs. <laughs> How do you shade them in? Um, so, um, Fight Club was actually his first published novel. 
And it wow. was based on a short story. It was originally a short story that became then a full-on novel because it, it did so well. Um, Palahniuk was basically like his inspiration for the novel came when he once was on an altercation while uh, camping. And he returned to work bruised and swollen. And he noticed that his co-workers completely avoided asking him what had happened on the camping trip. <laughs> oh, my God. And so he was like, their reluctance to know basically what happened in his yeah. private life or to like kind of ignore the obvious bruising inspired him to write Fight Club, which <laughs> he's like, you know what? I could get away with <laughs> interesting is like I suppose it is that thing of like when something's so obvious yeah and and yet people don't want to I think it's like people don't it's like a murkiness of life and people don't want to get into anything that they're like this yeah. could be an awkward conversation I'd rather not have it I mean we both live in London you could be <laughs> dying on the street and yeah. people would be stepping over you to get to their bus exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly um, uh, in 1995 um, oh yes yeah, so sorry uh, it was initially a short story, as I said, um, and it was published in 1996. Um, upon the reissue, and this is what I wanted to talk about really quickly, um, there was a latter edition added to the book. Yes. The book was so popular. Mm. Obviously, with the film, it was became such a hit. The author um, kind of expanded on what he thought about the book and the popularity yes. of it. He said some of the inspiration for the book not only came from that time he was just showed up apparently black and blue to work and no one cared, but also <laughs> he said at the time bookstores were full of books like the, the Joy Luck Club and The Divine Secrets of the Aya Sisterhood and How to Make an American Quilt. <laughs> <laughs> he said these were all novels that presented a social model for women to be together, but there was no novel that presented a new social model for men to share their lives. Yeah, and then that kind of where um, it came from. He said Great Gatsby was another, um, it was kind of like an updated Great Gatsby, he says. Um, sort of a pop, a thick, um, po- okay, apostle, and ick at the end. Apostolic? <laughs> Apostolic fiction. <laughs> where the surviving apostle tells the story of his hero. There are two men and one woman. And one man, the hero, is shot to death, which wow. is what yeah. he says is kind of like Fight Club is the updated version of the Great Gatsby then. Um, so listen, I mean, that's a bit of a background. He's a really fascinating character, the author actually. And yeah. um, he um, he says he's still approached by people wanting to know where the nearest fight club is, which he finds is so interesting because yeah. he doesn't think sort of that that's what the book is about. But we'll get into that now. Um, but yeah, I mean, what did you think of the book yourself? Like what? what... Yeah, so yeah, I'd never read the book. So this is my first time. I downloaded it and I began reading it one night when I was really tired and it does just similar to the film yeah. jump in you know to the mayhem straight away it starts it starts at the end with the narrator on the top of the floor of a building that's about to uh, blow up yeah and it's a very jarring read it is yeah transgressional fiction yeah it, it, yeah it's just it's a very jarring read it's difficult to get into and I remember yeah. I read three pages I was I was sleepy and I was like fuck <laughs> this <laughs> And then we were like texting each other. And we, at one point we were like, will we do Fight Club? Yeah. <laughs> I hate this. Um, so, but anyway, I got into it a few days later again. It's very short. It started yes. out as a short story. So it does make sense to me that it's quite a short novel. Approximately and just over 200 pages. Yeah, not lot. super yeah. quick. And then I, yeah, the version that I had had the afterward that you're mentioning mm-hmm. from Chuck Palahniuk that kind of goes into, because obviously Fight Club had blown up. The movie had been made and he reflects back on kind of the legacy of yeah. Fight Club. And I found that really interesting. And my favourite thing that he said in that afterward was, 
it didn't have to be a fight club. It could have been a knitting club. You know, yeah, it could have been any. Yeah. I was, it, you know, the fight wasn't the point of what I was trying to say with the book. What I was trying to say is that men need a way to come together. Yeah. And that's what I found really interesting about the book. And that's why I, I actually really liked it. And what I found about it and what I found was so different in the book from the movie was that the book is much more personal it's told through that like first person narrative of the narrator of the narrator um, and his stream of consciousness and for me the book is about male loneliness and isolation and questioning why men in modern society mm-hmm. can't connect with each other and can't allow themselves to cry you know that was yeah. my overarching thing like, why can't men cry and right in your face he has to go to these support groups and get in touch with people who have huge loss in their lives to allow himself the ability to cry so that's what I think the book is about and I because of that really liked it there's less fight club in the book fight club oh absolutely there's only a little bit of fight club in fight club (laughs) yeah for me it was more of a cult book it's about Project Mayhem and Tyler as this like really charismatic cult leader, um, and I found that really interesting as well. I've it's 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 so true actually. I think there's only a few pages dedicated yeah. to actually the fighting. I will say, the first few pages, as you mentioned, oh god, it's it's kind of a it's, it jumps. So everything yeah. it like literally jumps from one thought to one place to the next place. So actually, that's really hard to follow. And I found actually, I kind of needed to know a little bit about the film in order to put me that's in place with the book. Okay. I think if I was reading this, and it makes it reminds me a little bit of Game of Thrones. I've read Game of Thrones and I watched the show afterwards. And watching the show, I'm like, oh, that's the Onion Knight. Like I was literally like, I would never know who was who because there was too many people. It was a bit like that. Yeah. Um, and it kind of reminded me a bit of the Dubliners by James Joyce, which make going to make me sound like a dickhead I've tried to read that book so many times and because it really jumps it's like a stream of consciousness yeah. that's a bit like the way Fight Club is You, the only difference is with Fight Club I actually got into it yeah <laughs> James Royce is like fuck this <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know yeah. but it, it does become an enjoyable read eventually yes. but you do have to get past, you kind of just have to get, it's like a rhythm you have to get into the rhythm of, of the way this is uh, written out completely but I wanted to jump on the thing of the the thing about the book being more personal than the film, there's actually so many sweet moments in the book that just aren't in the film. And yeah. the book, there's more sweet moments in the book, but it's also more, like again, sorry for this cursing, but more fucked up moments. In the the book. book is more, I think, fucked up than the film. Mm-hmm. Let's t- the mother's fat, like even getting into the soap bit, which we ha- we're, we'll talk oh. about in a bit. But <laughs> My God. <laughs> just to give you a taster here of how different the book is from the film. They make soap <laughs> in the film and in the book, but in the book they use Marla Singer's mum's fat. <laughs> I completely forgotten about that. So yeah. when you were saying saying it's a bit more fucked up I was like is it and then mother's fat I was like oh (laughs) that was a moment it nearly lost me actually (laughs) I was like I don't know if I can do this because the reason they have her mother's fat is because she her mother sends her fat to use for implants or collagen yeah listen whatever gets you through the day but (laughs) I'm not here to judge them like Neve I just think women should age naturally Grace (laughs) I don't do what you want do what you want mom send me some fat Um, so but the whole bit about the more I I do think it's more emotional and yet also more fucked up so actually it has a weird pendulum to to the film the film is more consistently shocking yeah but the book the, when those kind of more tender-hearted moments come in, they're really effective. And that's for me why I think the book works more because I think then those fucked up moments are almost earned. Yeah. I care more or I care more about these characters. So when that pendulum swings back into things like Marla's mother's fat, 
well, at least now I know a little bit about why Marla is the way she is. Yes. Like that she comes yeah. from somewhere where her mother is like sending, her, sending her bags of fat. And also when Marla can't afford to like buy a meal and like she's getting college yeah. injections and stuff like that. Um, but the whole thing about the men just want community. I want to read a quote here, right? Because I think he actually brilliantly, you know, the whole thing of why men can't get together and just yeah. talk or cry or do the things that women would do. Women can get together in more gentler ways. It's not just five-a-side football, which I do think is the modern-day fight club. <laughs> five-a-side football is how men get together. And they're too breathless to even speak, but that's them bonding. What can I do? So the whole thing is that he gives... Um, Panelik said a, a simple assertion about the theme of the novel. He stated that all my books are about a lonely p- person looking for some way to connect to other people. Yeah. And I thought this was like the, a quote from the book that I thought was really interesting. Just after the narrator's condo has been burned down, right? He's standing outside and he's, you know, the security guy is talking to him. And he said, this is just a quote from it, right? The security guy asked me my name and address and phone number. And then he asked me, what was the difference between a condom and a, co- a cockpit? <laughs> he said... You only get one prick into a condom, he said. I cabbed home on my last 10 books. So that is just... <laughs> <laughs> now, in fairness, a cracker joke. Like, I'm not saying that the, the, the security guy, he's obviously got a, a I don't know, a, like a, li- a, a joke book or something. But this is a guy whose condo has been burned out. Yeah. He's standing there looking at all of his worldly possessions. And even in that moment, this man can't just be like, are you okay? Yeah. Like, or ask him a question about it or have a conversation. It just has to be this one-liner joke and then yeah. he, he gets a cab and I'm like, that's loneliness. Yeah. That's lack of communication and in a more general sense if it was maybe a, a woman there, can I get you something? Maybe a cup of tea? Or do you have someone to call? Who are you going home, going home with? There'll yeah. be 20 follow-up questions if it was woman to woman. <laughs> Men don't, can't do a follow-up question. <laughs> they they've, that's um, it. They've never asked a follow-up question in their lives. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been asked a question by that. No, joking. But like, it is that it's such an odd moment. But I yeah. remember it so distinctly when I read the book. I was like, God, that's so sad. Yeah, you're right. You've lost everything, and this other band just can't in that moment be real with you and go, God, this is devastating. Yeah. Like, you know. Um. So that was one moment, and then the crying. So we just have to talk about the men crying yeah. situation. Okay. Um, <laughs> the only way this man can cry, <laughs> and this is a topic I wanted to touch on, mm-hmm. is if he is. A, I think, surrounded by some sort of femininity. Yeah. Okay. The only time the narrator cries is when he goes to the uh, testicular cancer uh, support group and Bob is there. Now, Bob is a very important character. Bob, he's re- recovered from testicular cancer, am I right? But he's on estrogen. He ha- Yeah, he's on estrogen, I think, because he, he's had his testicles removed. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and he's on estrogen. So now he's on estrogen and because of that, he has developed breasts, mm-hmm. right? And... The only time the narrator can cry is when he is pressed up against Bob's breasts in a massive hug. And I know it's like a point of like being funny, but also I'm like, yeah, that's the only time in a bosom that he can like cry. Let go. And it's so, just so depressingly sad while also at the same time, like very funny. Yeah. Like that's very funny. I think that is like as well, I haven't read, I've read a little bit of Chuck Palahniuk and I think that's a real marker of him. Yeah. Is that incredibly depressing and incredibly funny at the same time and just and then a little bit gross turning. Yes. You know, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, 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 a little yeah. bit like I think he he is wild, the narrator keeps referring to Bob's bitch tits. Like bitch that's tits, yeah. yeah. And, and in um, the film Meatloaf has a cracker pair, I'll say that for him. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it was Meatloaf. Lads, like the way those things hang, they're actually like gravity hasn't gotten to them yet. Like that's, you know, <laughs> 
it Do hasn't got to jealous as meatless. Alright? I have enough problems. <laughs> Marla Singer's mum being like, now those are the tits you'd need. <laughs> oh, poor Marla. Um, yeah, listen, I think we should probably pop on to the film now. But yes. that's, the book definitely, if you are, it's a short read, but I think it's like, so, I don't know, there was just something about it where, oh, and I wanted to mention one last thing actually the book does yeah. that really, a, a little sucker punch for me was in the last scene, um, which in the film is just pretty much an out now fight scene between Tyler Jordan and the narrator and, you know, in the book, um, all of the patients, so of all the support groups he went to, the narrator, these patients show up when the narrator is basically at his lowest and he's about to, Bombs are about to go off. Marla Singer shows up and with other patients from the support group show up with to stop him. And they're and they're literally saying to him, like, we can help you, you don't need to yeah. do this. And these are people who are like are dying. And there's something about that where I like got really emotional reading that, because those are people who are like, do not have the time. <laughs> <laughs> they simply are too busy. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like there was something yeah. about that and they're calling out to him to help him. Yeah. And that is, again, and then Marla's showing up as well in such a lovely way. In the film, she doesn't show up in that way. She's yeah. kind of dragged there. In the book, she makes a point, I'm she going showing up. So that's that's what I mean about the difference between the, the real emotional impact of the book. Yeah, and I think for me, that ending in the book, yeah, as you described, it's a lot It's a lot more of an, a, an emotional gut punch. And the fact that they're support groups, you know, yeah. in the name, they're yeah. there to show their support. But he has formed a community with them. And the thing about community is it's a two-way street. You have to give. And in the support groups, he gave as well. Like, he mm. hugged Bob. He engaged in the crying with them. There's a lot of, you know, visualization that he did in those support groups. You know, he, yeah. he participated and he gave of himself and he gave his sadness yeah. in there as well. And when you give, you get back. And I think that he missed... For me, the point of the book is that, okay, maybe he shouldn't have gone to the support groups because yeah. um, he wasn't sick in that way. Yeah. But he missed the point of how to, yeah. you know, defeat that loneliness. And he had it at his doorstep the whole time. He had kind of figured it out. He got halfway there and then lost his way a little bit. Yeah. That's so... God, you're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but that's, so, that's so true. And I think like the film just skip over that like the, yes. the support groups are not a big part of it in the book they are their yeah. support groups are a really big part of it and actually more named characters in it and kind of descriptions and stuff but god that's so sad also surely there's an insomnia support group that you would be up all night you would maybe imagine maybe not in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> but could you imagine yeah. what a great way like why not spend time with other insomniacs yeah. where you're just <laughs> Open the middle of the night together, you know. That's so true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was the book, which, as I said, I ended up really, really liking a lot more than I thought it was going to be, than I thought that I would. And I think it's really different from the movie. And we'll, yeah. let's dive into that. So um, the movie rights were sold to Fox about a year or two after the book was published. So once again, like a lot of things that we've covered so far, I really think just like snapped up very quickly. Yeah. Um, they were offered to, the movie was kind of offered to a few different directors, all of whom turned it down. Peter Jackson was Peter offered. Jackson Could turned it down. Could you imagine a Peter Jackson fight club? Uh, i imagine them for some reason like in Middle Earth. <laughs> <laughs> fighting. <laughs> fighting in Middle Earth. Or Mordor probably. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, that, I couldn't actually think so of So interesting. Sort of film, I think yeah. as well that we can't think of Peter Jackson now <laughs> 
as a like before Lord of the Rings. Like he did have quite an interesting career before Lord of the Rings. I in can't the 90s. think of him. I don't think of him as, as a mid budget director. Yeah. That's the problem. I only see You're him so now right. as like blockbuster, blockbuster big scale ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brian Singer turned it down. David O. Russell was offered it. Oh, that's interesting. He said he couldn't understand it. <laughs> Which I love because <laughs> David O. Russell can do one basically. And, then, <laughs> and before that, Fincher actually ended, David Fincher actually ended up approaching the studio as he had actually been interested in buying the rights himself. Oh, so he had read the good. book independently, had tried to buy the rights didn't didn't get them in time so he kind of found out who owned them and went to, to Fox directly himself um, which I think is really interesting this is uh, he know God he knows himself so well he knows himself I'm sorry well. but like he's like I this film doesn't need to be lit up <laughs> I'll need one lamp <laughs> I know what to do with this the guy doesn't like lighting that's all I'm going to say every film I've seen <laughs> that's uh, amazing yeah, though yeah. I lo- yeah I think it's really important that someone who really was invested in the book Ended yes, up being the yeah. one who got this got this movie, um. So he went to the studio. He got the rights. Um, Fincher describes this movie as a coming of age film, which I found really interesting. It was not my read on it, right? But once I heard that, and I kind of went back and revisited the book, I could kind of see where he was coming from in terms of that that growth of the narrator. So it's like almost like a middle aged coming of age, a middle aged coming yeah, of yeah, age. Yeah. He worked with screenwriter Jim Ulls. U-H-L-S, Jim Ulls. And together, I noticed that in my research, they kept coming back to The Graduate as an influence on Fight Club as a movie. The Graduate with, um, what's the Dustin face? Hoffman. Yeah. Which I was really surprised by. I was like, I just don't see these two in the same vein even. Yeah. And the reason for that is, you know, for them, The Graduate is about disillusioned young men pushing back against the older generation, which is, you know, yeah. The thesis of the movie of Fight Club. Yeah. Um, they even offered the screenwriter book Hen- of the graduate Book Henry an opportunity to kind of take a pass at the at the script for Fight Club. Um, Imagine Marilyn and the narrator to run off together. <laughs> <You're getting married. laughs> Which listen, essentially kinda of happens. Oh, well. Um you know he's yes, so, actually yeah. sorry. <laughs> Go on. Uh, book Henry turned it down because uh, he didn't find Fight Club funny. So another thing that I found in the research uh, of you know the making of this film and that I thought was really interesting and why I have more problems with the adaptation. Okay. Um, one of the actresses that was in the running for the character of Marla was Courtney Love. <gasps> I first of all knew fuck you <laughs> <laughs> for for that she would have been. Oh, I'm actually devastated. Yeah. She would have been incredible. Incredible. She is that character. She knows that character. Like, Helena Bonham Carter, I thought, was really wonderful, yeah. beautiful in this role. Yeah. The reason she didn't get it was because at the time she was seeing Ed Norton. Okay, listen, I have to leave. <laughs> and David Fincher thought it would cause issues. Are you joking? No. Imagine you know, fighting to get the rights to this book about societal ills. Oh, you're joking. And going to make this movie and then making that decision to say, this actress who is perfect, perfect for this role, that is such a distinctive role. Sorry, Edward Norton, once again, was fantastic. Anyone could play the narrator. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Like, he's very good in it. But yeah. at, at the same, it's it's an everybody, it's an yeah. every man. Yeah. She was sacrificed for him. <sighs> So, you know, I just thought that was so interesting. I couldn't believe 
And again, it's then, about- isn't it so funny? It's again missing the point of like, <laughs> like, yeah, this is what are the societal ills? Yeah. And it's the people who can, who, who never get the chances. Yeah. And who are the people who never get the chances? Historically have always been women, people of colour. That's, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like gay people, whatever. Like this film is like, it's so interesting because yeah. Fight Club is basically about straight men. But it's just when something like this happens in the making yeah. of a film, you go, ah, for feck's sake. Is there, you know, yeah. that's just, because she would have been great. She would have been great. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry to devastate you with that. That's so interesting yeah. though. I do love a bit of goss. Listen. And just because we, we need to bring her up, another person in the running... Reese Witherspoon. <gasps> Are you joking? No. Fuck off. Why is Reese Witherspoon in every episode? You're joking. I, I surely am. In- she lost it in Gone Girl. She lost it in this. <laughs> Do you know what though? She, I can't imagine her in the role. Like, no. once again, she's a brilliant actress, but like, I just think there's certain people who she was decided to be too young. I think was the reason, yeah. which I can see. I was thinking when I read it, I was like, oh, she's in American Psycho, and she's very good in that. But the, but, but the person this is, she plays in American yeah. Psycho is. Like, I'm like, she's really good at yes. that. I think this, yeah, I mean, listen, she could probably, again, she's very talented. She yeah. probably could have absolutely blown her minds and changed. She's you know. no Courtney Love. Oh, Courtney, I know. Courtney. The big difference for me and the reason that I don't think that I connect with Fight Club, the movie, as much is that in the transition from book to film, the big purpose or the cause of the dissatisfaction of the narrator and generation because the movie kind of speaks I think for a generation of men the big cause of their kind of societal ills is this mass consumerist culture and we see a lot like a lot of references to like Ikea (laughs) you know just like manscaping you know it's this idea and like Tyler Durden and it has a lot of like rants about like you know you're sold things you don't need by people who don't care about you and that's kind of so it's the moving of in the book a very personal story to kind of in the movie a more generational larger scale story that becomes less personal and more about yeah this culture that's driven by advertising by want by you know those kind of things and for me it doesn't land as much another kind of complaint not complaint but another thing that comes up again and again in the movie and in my research of the kind of making of was the reference of Gen X being the first generation to not fight in a war I hear (laughs) 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 fucking if you want with us 10 now (laughs) and I just can't sympathise with that yeah at all so like you know that was their big thing it's like you know they all of the generations that came before us fought in wars and came home in this kind of blaze of glory you know was kind of the the messaging and you know we have no purpose because we have no war I was like well you could go fucking work at a soup kitchen or something like do you help someone do so there's a lot wrong you know and it's just that feeling of like they're so sad because the society that was made by and exclusively for them is still not making them happy. Yeah. So their only like o- option is to fight is each to other. fight each other and, and get just, the stress you know, out. So for yeah. me, that's what the movie is about. And because of that, I was like, uh, okay, yeah. go off. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. So you know, I think that for me, the movie is kind of missing that personal touch or that personal narration. Um, what do you think? Do you? How does that ring with you? Like what? Yeah, it's so interesting because like it's it is funny now looking back. I mean, having Brad Pitt as well do an anti-consumerist rant in a film is <laughs> hilarious now. Right. Hilarious because and I obviously there is something you know to the casting of Brad yeah. Pitt. I know you're going to talk about it, but I but there's something about like 
him doing it in these sunglasses, which could only look amazing on him. And even now. <laughs> and they're out of trend, might I say, and they still look amazing. Um, but it's, it's funny that you mentioned the capitalist thing, okay? Yeah. Because in, in the book, I know that um, Palnick's whole thing was that when the narrator is fighting himself in front of his boss, which happens at one point, there's like loads of fight scenes. Yeah. He's kind of like, it's his way of asserting himself as his mm-hmm. own boss because he's felt so powerless. And that's a part of it. But like what's so interesting in the book, which is different from the film again, he likes his boss in the book. Yeah. His boss he is actually a nice for guy. Him, yeah. In the film, they change the story because in the in the book, the boss mm-hmm. dies, but in the film, he doesn't. The boss is just a regular prick. Yeah. So there's this whole thing where you're like, I don't know, there's also a lack of complexity to it. Like there's a real teenage boyness to it. That's and I think that's yeah. why teenage boys love it because it's real like, oh, you just buy the shit and like all you do is just like sit on the shit or lie on the shit or whatever. Like this is all bullshit. And you know when you're like, the never is the answer. The answer is other people. Yeah. It's people. And I just think that that's, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's so weirdly sad. And as well, like why is it when a bunch of men get together, they can't have a conversation. It all has to be either like, it has to be a reason you're there, which is like almost like an army-like reason. Because yeah. they become an army, basically. Yeah. Like, and they're like, we're going to fight the corporations, which, but listen, oh, we're all for it. <laughs> <laughs> we're away. We're, we're no away. But I, I feel like there's a better way of doing it than just like punching each other and then like lighting things on fire. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. There's, a, there's definitely a lack of like, any by the end of the film any lack of like introspection or like there's no answer yeah and yeah and not that everything has to have an answer but it's it's almost like taking the easy way out a little bit I felt and like so one thing that I found was interesting I was reading um a salon article that once again I will link in the show notes about you know kind of David Fincher and his approach to the movie was that before this a lot of his work or a lot of his career was actually directing commercials and music videos oh wow so and he was trying to kind of break in a lot to to the movie business and get into it. But there was at the time, kind of the 80s and 90s, this very much attitude in the film industry that you were either a commercial director, a television director, or a movie director. So you're telling me he's Tyler Jordan, who's so pissed off <laughs> about directing film, like TV commercials. And he's like, hey guys, it's all bullshit. <laughs> Is it what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, what bought your furniture, David? (laughs) It was those commercials. Well, this is it. Like, you know, there's a quote from this article is that Fincher brought up his unique affinity for the anti-consumer angle as a renowned director of commercials who made lifestyle ads in the 80s, light beer slots selling fantasies of nocturnal cities with sleek blondes in black cocktail dresses. So I found that so interesting. I was like, do you have a... Is there a kind of a shame that he carries from doing that work, you know, that he's yeah. maybe brought into this film? You know, there is something there. I'm not saying, you know, I I, I want to make it clear that I do think that a lot of times, you know, we're too focused on possessions and, and all yeah. of those things. But and consumerism and commercialism in society can have such negative effects. But I did just think it was interesting that the movie lost a lot of heart to focus on this and why or you know why why did it do that I do think that he brought a lot to it and I think actually that anger almost is there in the film it's so palpable and the weird thing is right I think I enjoy the film a lot more than you do Yeah, I have to say I really love this is a film I love and I think it's a film I love because I watched it when I was younger Yeah, so it's kind of one of those things that for me I think when you watch something when you're in like a certain stage of your life like particularly your 20s like and it, yeah. and it was just a hard I'd never seen anything like it I do think there's parts of this film that are absolutely brilliant and the casting is for me brilliant and 
I think yeah, what the actors bring to the characters is really good. And and as well, I just love the look of David Fincher films. Like I oh, love yeah. the one lamp look. It looks like seven. <laughs> it looks like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. These are all great films. But there is I do think with the book I was so surprised by how like it, I was touched by the book much more and I was like, yeah. Oh right. They could have gone a different way with this, and it could have been so much more interesting to talk about this at the time that it came out. Because what, like, what, what year? So it came out in nineteen ninety nine. So nineteen ninety nine. If we were to talk about why men can't cry or why <laughs> men can't seem to be in a room together and have a chat in nineteen ninety nine, yeah, that's way ahead of its time. We're already having these things now where we're like, "Hey, it was Ted Lasso." Like, <laughs> get a bunch of men together and someone have a cry. Do you know what I mean? But like. That's what's, it's almost like, <laughs> it's, sorry. it's almost like, that's 23, 24 years later that we You're had so something right. come out. And I'm like, God, David Fincher, like, you know, you could have had something like just so early on, like yeah. probably way before we were ready for the conversation. You're totally right. But speaking of that, I will say that at the time, you know, I'm, I'd never seen Fight Club. So I'm really coming to it yeah. as my you know 30 year old self in 2023. In 1999, it was quite revolutionary yes. for what it was. And yeah. you can't kind of talk about it without acknowledging that. It, and I didn't know this until I started researching, bombed. Oh, yeah. It did not do well. I Because obviously it is like has so much cult success, I kind of assumed that it was always very successful. So I didn't realise, you know, that it hadn't, you know, that it was just like this after the fact VHS cult following it got from young men that has yes. made it so successful and that became by the way part of its legacy the yes. fact that it was like people were like people couldn't handle it when it came out exactly and like so it went underground <laughs> man like a bunch of guys instead of a fight club are just watching fight club <laughs> shirts off sitting down but you know that was also part of almost I think its success it was yeah. actually it didn't do well at the beginning which makes totally. always then something that then they're like they couldn't handle it it was so crazy yeah, yeah you're totally right um, so for me that's kind of the big the big change in the adaptation is that that response or that attitude towards what is, what is the thing that's affecting men in this negative way that's making them go out and seek um, these other outlets the other thing that one of the other things that I want to talk about and we kind of touched on it because I do think it's interesting when we talk about the the message of anti-consumerism, anti-commercialism, um, is the casting of Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden. Uh, which I just think, and watching the film, I was like, this is a stroke of genius, this casting. Yeah. Before I get into it, I just want to flag, I'm going to talk a lot about Brad Pitt in the 90s and early 2000s. Yes. Right now, I feel very differently to Bra- about Brad Pitt than you know I think that yeah. we did then. He's had some allegations against come out against him from his children that he was not a great dad and there's been some kind of emotional and, and I think physical abuse claims against him as well and I think there's a, a pair, big allegedly all that allegedly. Sort of, like we, you know yeah um and I just want to kind of yeah. start by flagging that and saying what we're talking about now is the Brad Pitt of the 90s and and his persona then yes. and how yeah. he was known in Hollywood but I do acknowledge that he is a person that may have actually caused people a lot of pain but yeah, in the 90s, he, I think the Fight Club really, in a way, was the making of Brad Pitt. And it really solidified his type yeah. of like characterization. As I was watching this, and I was watching it actually with my partner. And um, we were kind of saying like, God, Brad Pitt can really... Can get only- it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say there. <laughs> that too. Um, Brad Pitt can only really do this one thing very well. Um, but he's kind of the only one who can do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Do oh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And he has this kind of like, so obviously Brad Pitt, ridiculously, ridiculously good looking. Like probably one of mm. the, especially in the 90s, Jesus, like just one of the most good looking men alive. But he is able to embody these oddballs, like these weirdos yeah. and really like this, uh, you know, play them so well and give them so much like frenetic energy. And he really does that with Tyler Durden. So before um, Fight Club, Brad Pitt was really just becoming this huge superstar he hadn't quite like kind of crested yet but he was very up and coming I would kind of say almost like a Timothy Chalamet yeah you know in that level of fame like just about to like have all these upcoming Absolutely, like yeah, blockbusters he had just married Jennifer Aniston the year before so some great career move great <laughs> fucking great career move uh, some of the movies that he'd been in in the 90s before this interview with a vampire yeah with Tom Cruise he was in Seven which was his first collaboration with David Fincher and that's an amazing film that was yeah, yeah. love Seven I really love Seven he was in 12 Monkeys The Devil's Own Meet Joe Black so Really varied, but also kind of, yeah, sticking with yeah. that kind of looking for these oddball characters, I think. Um, and then he was cast in in Fight Club. Um, Jennifer Aniston apparently shaved his head for the role herself. Oh, God, I love her. <laughs> and, she, and she did a great role. <laughs> she did great. And uh, he, Brad Pitt said he could relate to the movie's existential uncertainty. He quoted, I'm the guy who's got everything he said, but once you get everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. Fuck <laughs> Fuck off, Brad Pitt. No, listen, I'm sure you don't, but like at the same time, it helps. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like a nice mattress helps sleep. <laughs> and also the fact that he's like, doesn't help you sleep at night or whatever. You're going into a story about an insomniac. <laughs> but no, I get, I, yeah, listen, it's nice. It's, it's, I think it's so hard when people, I think, who have money and, you know, prestige and fame say these things because you're like, well, now come on. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and have you ever not been able to pay your rent? Yeah, like, yeah, please yeah, think yeah. before you yeah, say anything. Yeah, yeah. You is. can still, and you can afford therapy. <laughs> Most others can't. Yes, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think is you know it's interesting as well. Like um, because the role he plays, because I'm sure like he's so good looking, right? Yeah. And the thing is that you do have to fight against that, which is probably why he went for oddball characters. And mm. he does it like he does it really, really well. well. Yeah. Like in Moneyball, like in the last few years as well. Like that was such a he's become a really good actor, mm. but. uh you also then are being allowed to do it because you're good looking. Like, mm-hmm. Charlie Jernan is cool in this film because he's so hot. Yeah. The, like, he's wearing, he, he looks like half the guys in Hackney the way he's dressed. But like, <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he dresses amazingly, but like, it's because he looks so, he's so good looking that yeah. he gets away with that. Like I said, I think that I think of Fight Club as more of a cult film and about yeah. like this like personality that's assembled this like group of men who are lonely and who, and don't feel like they have anywhere else to go. And, Casting Brad Pitt in that role, I think, is really interesting. In the book, there's actually no physical descriptions of anyone. No, and weirdly, Tyler is more described as charismatic, I think. Like, as in people are attracted to him, rather than him being that good looking. Yeah. So, like, I never got it from the book that he was gorgeous. No. <laughs> he was Brad Pitt. Um, I, I just actually, it was more that he's just almost like this... I don't know, almost omnipresent. Like, he's almost like godlike in the sense of, like, he's just that charismatic and people yeah. are drawn to him as a leader. But, like, yeah, his, his looks were never brought into yeah. it. So, and obviously, actually casting Brad Pitt was, like, a choice. It yeah, was like, yeah. 100%. And, obviously, that's because, spoiler alert, the narrator and Tyler Durden are the same yeah. person. So, 
the physical difference of Edward Norton compared to Brad Pitt, I think, yeah. plays a big mo- plays a big role in demonstrating how charismatic he becomes when he switches yes. into his all, like alternative personality. Um, but I did highlight in the in the book the one description of Tyler Durden. Um, to everyone here, I'm Tyler Durden, smart, forceful, and gutsy. Oh, do you not like that? Uh, no, smart, forceful, and gutsy is great, but I don't. Weirdly, I don't see that as the guy that's in the film I don't really? know why it's not because he is smart but I think I don't know why smart what's a smart forceful and, and gutsy. gutsy makes me sound like he's like a ni- in the 1920s <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? I'm smart forceful and gutsy I'm gonna make this town red like I don't know why I don't see that as a descriptor of a modern day like I don't know why I just think yeah. more as charismatic but yeah I, I, get I do love the term gutsy yeah gutsy gutsy, <laughs> right gutsy's almost like a positive. Yeah. And for who then Tyler Jordan becomes. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be like a guy who like is going to bomb a city. He's gutsy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting then that Tyler goes on to, yeah, form Project Mayhem and gathers like yeah. all these men to, they live in the house on Paper Street um, and start carrying out these pranks or projects uh, to kind of destabilize society or, you know, show society the, the, issues that relying yeah, on this like yeah. mass consumer's lifestyle do you think because we kind of touched on how the following the fight club got where these kind of young men i don't want to offend anyone by saying is it a bit of a precursor to this incel culture that we have a little bit uh yeah i mean i suppose it, it's interesting because it's not like the internet well it's so mad to watch it and be like there isn't any internet really how did you all find out about this fight club <laughs> <laughs> You weren't allowed to talk about them. How did you find out about them? You know, for a group of people who apparently can't communicate, <laughs> men really got the got Fight Club out there, didn't they? <laughs> um, you can talk when it suits you. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> There, I, the incel thing is interesting. I I've, I saw a lot of like about uh, kind of a post the book in particular and the film about like the link between like 9-11 kind of like the war mm. on terror and how like there did become like there was like this like legion of men who then were like so ready to fight sort of thing. But incel, I, I that's something interesting. I don't know if I see the, I, I do think that obviously there is some link to it. But with the incel culture, I, because it's so much more um. Uh, what's the word? Isolating. Yeah. Like, from what I gather, like, anyone who's considered an incel really is alone on a computer. Yeah. Fight Club is actually <laughs> trying to bring men together but in some I, way. That's you know? what I mean. I think that it's almost this, uh, that's the goal. Is that, like, and I think yeah. that's, that's how a lot of men are kind of, young men especially, are radicalised from that feeling of, of loneliness yeah. and isolation and sitting on their computer and they get targeted to this stuff to, you know, by... Yeah. by whoever, by maybe right-wing organisations and it radicalises them. And I think that's because of loneliness. And yeah. I do think genuinely that loneliness is one of the most erosive um, oh, yeah. feelings that you can have and, and the effect you can have on people is is really dreadful and can lead to awful things. And I think that's the point of Fight Club. And having Brad Pitt cast as Tyler Durden, he's so aspirational. Oh, yeah. And he's so charismatic. He's so good at people. He forms this cult around him. And... I think that a lot of young men looking looking at that are going to aspire to that. Yeah. And then it's just so interesting and such good casting to have essentially this pretty boy in that yeah. role. Do you know what I mean? He's everything they're railing against. God, it just makes me so sad when I think about that. 
the whole Brad Pitt thing where he's standing in the middle of the room and he is uh, making the speech about like we're the middle children of God which yeah. I'm like I'm a middle child <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, but, you know, we're the forgotten ones. We're the whatever. Um, or we're the generation mm-hmm. of sons that w- were raised by women because everyone here apparently doesn't have a father. All their fathers are gone. Mm-hmm. All this sort of stuff. He makes this whole rallying cry, right? And it's like the whole rallying cry against consumerism, against going to the gym, against this whole like trying to having to look a certain way. And you're using Brad Pitt. I immediately thought of Barbie and Margot Robbie doing that bit where she goes, <laughs> I don't think I'm pretty. And I'm like, ever. <laughs> like there's something so funny and that of course was tongue yeah. in cheek as well. So there is that link of like using really good looking actors to make this point. Yeah. And yet we also are like, but those good looking actors are here because we like looking at them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And yeah. I wonder was that like David Fincher trying to, you know, acknowledge or kind of wink at the whole ridiculousness or pointlessness of of trying to blame this like blame yeah. these external forces of this mass consumerism on your problems or on your loneliness like I said at the start it's so interesting to me that all of these guys are struggling in a society that was literally catered for them I like know, everything yeah. is everything's built for you everything like, is as in, built like, even the way our cities are built everything is like you know our phones like the hand my phone is too small for my my hand's too small for my phone because <laughs> it was designed for men um, not me though I have massive hands but listen, <laughs> not with these big gloves um, but it is so interesting I, I wondered what you thought of this right because I, I have one other question for you there's the middle child of God thing right yeah. I, I just laughed and I thought that was so interesting but what is the significance do you think of no fathers because that Fight yeah. Club is a generation of men raised by women. So what do you think is the significance of the No Fathers? Because they have that conversation and it's in the book and it's in the film. Yeah. It's very pointedly like, we're talking about this. Yeah. I guess it's that feeling of, did you grow up not knowing how to be a man or was there no role model in your life? Mm. And, and, and this is, I don't think that anyone needs that necessarily, but yeah, that your father was missing. So you don't know what manliness looks like or you don't know how to be a man and and, and live your life as a man or is it supposed to be more derogatory towards women in terms of like now look at us yeah we're raised by women now look at us buying all these IKEA coffee these hideous IKEA coffee tables yeah um, they don't know how to be and then of course they wouldn't know how to talk to each other yeah because maybe you didn't know how you didn't get to talk to your dad yeah Um, okay and then one other thing um, just meatloaf I want to talk about Meatloaf and who is the like his name has gone from my mind, but he he plays the guy who gets like his pet like Jared Leto. Jared Leto is the kind of the pretty boy. I the think pretty other oh, yeah, pretty boy. The pretty He's boy. the minor pretty boy who he beats up. Yeah. Um, Jared Leto. I noticed this bit where Brad Pitt says something about, "Oh, we're the generations that grew up thinking we'd be rock stars," and he turns to Jared Leto yeah. right beside him. And I know it's a small, but I love those little things uh, yeah. where I'm like, "Jared Leto's a rock star," because he has like <laughs> yeah. that bleach blonde hair look yeah. as well. And I think that like Jared Leto was very like yeah, pretty boy of the oh, time. Yeah. He was in like I forget what the name of that '90s kind of American TV show he was in. Um, that... and, meat- and Meatloaf is just a guy that like straight away I like it. Like yeah. I, I just have you're like. It, it is meatloaf, but also I don't think it distracts from it. No, not He's at all. He's really good at Even this. when he came on, I was like, is that him? Now, I, full disclosure, my only frame of reference for meatloaf is as the bus driver in the Spice Girls <laughs> movie. <laughs> Listen, can you believe that man had two incredible films? <laughs> good for you, yeah, meatloaf. Good luck for you, meatloaf. Like that man, talk about like choosing your project wisely. <laughs> I love that for you. That's range. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I think those are two like great. Co- they're kind of weird. They're opposites, right? Because Meatloaf is an everyman, and like Jared Leto is a yeah. supermodel. Like yeah. he has like these incredible like cheekbones, and I think it's like they're trying to appeal, like showing how they're. Any man can feel this. Any man can feel this isolation, this loneliness. And we're, we can take you in. Yep. Like We can bring you into, into this world. Uh, the third thing that I wanted to talk about was the styling of the characters in this movie. Because once again, as there's, there's not many physical descriptions in the book. And even though I was familiar with how, with the movie, obviously just from, we all know what Fight Club mm-hmm. looks like. When I was reading the book, I didn't picture any of the characters as yeah. the characters in the movie, especially Marla. I really pictured her very differently. And in the movie, I love her styling in the movie. Yeah. I love the way that she, like her hair, her makeup, obviously her clothes. There's that great, uh, very furry kind of coat that she wears with her yeah. two little legs. She looks like a bird. She looks like an eccentric smoking bird. Like, like she, her aesthetic is what I want to look like every time I'm hungover. What I think I look <laughs> yes. like going down to get brunch. <laughs> kind of like sexy, but like obviously a bit of a mess. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what we all hope for. We don't get it, but she gets it. Yeah. yeah. So I just love, and she is like wearing, we're told in the in the book and we kind of see in the movie obviously she doesn't have a lot of money she steals from laundromats she sells jeans she buys clothes in thrift shops she's wearing this great bridesmaid dress at one point in the movie beautiful which I find really interesting it's so feminine it's pink and it's frilly I think she comments on something like in the movie she said something like you know bought for this very special day and then forgotten about and never worn again and I just think what a beautiful way to sum up Marla yeah 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 isn't it like she's just she, you know, we know from the book that her mother is sending her fat to inject into herself. We know that looking a certain way means something to her, mm-hmm. and she still ended up in this side of the road hotel, yeah, in nothing. And I think that stealing meals on wheels, stealing meals on yeah. wheels, that bit was dark. Really, that was dark. That was <laughs> yeah. devastating. Yeah. Um. So I really think that all of the styling in this movie is so on point. It's so everything has something to say. Yeah. And Tyler Durden again. He is, I think, the character that the movie cares about the most. Yeah. His wardrobe is incredible. incredible. Starting with, I think it's pretty iconic now, the red leather jacket. Yeah. Which is the costume designer, his name is Michael Kaplan. He did a great um, interview with Dazed and Dazed Digital about the fashion of Fight Club and how it's still, as you say, men in Hackney are still wearing this. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, everything that they got for that character was thrifted. Oh, How amazing, amazing is that in the 90s that they were yeah. like going in and getting these, he's wearing and he's dressed incredibly femininely. Yeah. The he's sunglasses like, straight off Bono's head I'm imagining because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, in very femininely. If anything, yeah. I'm like, he almost is a bit of like the the male Marla. Like I, I yeah. think about Tyler and Marla so I'm almost like them two could swap clothes straight away and that'd be Absolutely. no problem. He's wearing yeah. like a lot of sheer blouses I yeah. think and I think that uh, you know what I love as well? His his sleepwear. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing that dressing gown just like yeah. straight out of Sabrina the Teenage yeah. Witch. You know the fluffy yes. with the coffee cups yes. all over. That's so true. It looks like it could be in Friends yeah. almost as well. Like, yeah, that's And so I love, true. and he's like walking up the stairs in these big fluffy slippers. So I think like with that styling or with that costuming, they're definitely trying to say like, this is a guy who rejects any societal yeah. norms in a way. Like he's really just, he's this mad cock guy. He's dra- He's like finding things off the side of the road and putting on, but he's still so beautiful. Yeah. He's still that aspirational figure. Like he's got, he's nailing it. He's getting yeah. it all right. Like it's just... Um, but I just think that like in the 90s to be dressing Brad Pitt in this way I think was pretty iconic. Right? Yeah, and then the narrator himself um, 
is dressed in the most bland clothing. Yeah. Like absolutely forgettable. And that's so on purpose. And yeah. it makes so much sense. I wanted to make one quick uh, sidebar, yeah. right? Of something I think that I could. I just, it reminded me so much of this one <laughs> TV show, Fight Club, that I had to bring it up. I think there's a lot of like um, mirroring done between Fight Club and Fleabag. Okay, you're going to have to talk me through oh, this. I'm going to talk you through walk it, me right? through Just it. a few bits, okay? Season just... one or season two, they're two very different shows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kind of a bit of both, but mm. season two really, okay? The, the only thing I'm going to talk about is, it's just because sometimes with Fleabag, I'm going to say that, like, Fleabag obviously is, like, a real introspection of, like, I suppose, womanhood in a way, and you know what I mean, like, all that sort of thing. But the therapist, there's a whole thing in Fight Club where it's almost like they want to fuck God. There's this whole thing right. about fucking God, we're God's middle children, the forgotten ones. There's this whole real anger towards God. In Fleabag, she goes to therapy and the therapist says, do you want to sleep with this priest or do you want to fuck God? And mm-hmm. she said, can you fuck God? And she says, of course. So there's just this <laughs> interesting thing that happens in Fleabag. Also in Fleabag, there's a very famous um, scene about menopause where um, yeah. they describe menopause. And this older woman describes menopause as saying, she talks about how women have had pain inside them all their life. And men go outside seeking wars and fighting to feel pain women have it built into them because of periods because of you know but men have to go seeking it and there's something about Fight Club again with the whole Gen X thing they haven't haven't had a war these men like literally are looking for the pain because they can't they don't have it inside them and the last thing and this is Fleabag has no name the narrator has no name Um, (gasps) yeah I love making these shocked expressions. Those are just little links. And I know it's like such a weird thing to try and make a link of. But no, it was particularly the pain thing. Yeah. That I was like, one, the whole thing about Fight Club is that these men are, why are they fighting? Like, why are they going out to seek this pain? And that women would have it inbuilt. And I just thought that that linked so That's great. No, I think that that's, that's gorgeous. And I always think about when, like, when you're watching these things and you're making those references, if you, if you recognize it and if you feel it, it's true. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like even if yeah. the author, even if both artists didn't want that or were thinking about that, 100%. if you can see a link to something, I think the fact that these are mirrors to each other, I'm yeah. like, there's something interesting about that. You yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah. when, we, when we started doing this, I started thinking a lot about our Shutter Island episode. Yeah. That's when I texted you being like, I don't know if you've started Fight Club, but it's going to be our men okay part <laughs> too. Because it is that, like, you're literally talking about those two generations yeah. and their response to, I guess that's just their response, their response to depression. Yeah. You're looking at that, like, post-war generation that did go through the war. And it isn't all, and that's another thing about uh, the creators of Fight Club, the movie, and the characters within it. Their mentality is men got to come back from war to this big grand hero's welcome. Yeah. That's not true. Yeah, you know, especially in the states, a lot of veterans are left with nothing and to do, and there's no support, there's no help for them, and they're left traumatized yeah. with no way to support themselves. Particularly with Vietnam, where they came back to no warm welcome. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's just, and I, I, the reason I bring it up so much, or the reason is, it's not just. I read so many quotes from people who were involved in the making of Fight Club. Yeah, that said, that said this, that said, you know, we had no purpose because we didn't have a war. And I just think, God, you know, and it's it's such a ridiculous thing to say. It's such a ridiculous thing yeah. to believe, especially when you don't need a war to find suffering. You yeah. don't. It's everywhere. Find and a woman on her period. She's, a, <laughs> she's, 
She's there, <laughs> folks. <laughs> and yeah. especially in the States where there's so much poverty, there's so much people who yeah. need help. And to think that you're like, you know, how could you be spending your time? One. And last... actually, sorry, I just even on to, to, to tag on to that. These are a generation, well, you know, quote unquote, who didn't have fathers. Like mm. the narrator doesn't have a father. Of course, then Tyler Durden doesn't. They make a point of pointing that out. If you want to find a purpose, surely people are your purpose. Yeah. Like, actually, the sad truth is your purpose is like, if you were, if you do have kids, be a good dad, be present dad, be there for them. I, which she links again with Fleabag in that menopause scene. Mm. She says, people are, ugh, and your one goes, people are all we've got. And it's the same here. People are all we've got. And like with Fight Club, it's so sad that you're trying to find a purpose. The purpose is all around you. The people. Yeah. People are the purpose. People are the reason that you're here and why you should be here. And the loneliness is what separates you off from them. And then you try and find a different purpose. The people are the purpose. Oh, Grace. <laughs> I think we have to finish there. Taglines. Taglines. Let's do the taglines. <laughs> <laughs> the Fight Club tagline. <laughs> Oh okay, the Fight Club official tagline Mischief, Mayhem, Soap. <laughs> I feel like we didn't even get to the soap. We actually never talked about the soap. We didn't touch on the soap. Um, they make a lot of soap. <laughs> I did love the detail in the movie of like, you know, it's selling people's fat back, back to, to them. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Which, by the way, that's goop. That's goop. That's that's goop. goop. <laughs> Goop basically is a bunch of rich women selling, I don't know, I'm sure like their own, <laughs> the air they exhale back to themselves in a bottle. So true. Um, okay, my tagline. Okay, mm-hmm. so the Fight Club tagline, Mischief Mayhem Soap. My tagline, Men Cry Please. <laughs> I love it. I, I really it. love that. Well done. Thanks for listening to The Jump. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. And tell all your friends about us. It really helps us to continue to make the show even better. If you want to contact us with recommendations on what to cover next, message us on Instagram or TikTok at The Jump Podcast or email us at thejumppodcastx at gmail.com. That's thejumppodcastx at gmail.com. <laughs>